What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN GameScoop. I'm your host, Damon Hatfield. Joining me this week are Tina Amini. Hi, everybody. Sam Claiborne. Howdy. And we are joined by Mark Medina this week. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you. I'm told I'm glowing, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> we were told by our producer to speak really loudly. <laughs> oh. than usual. So Is this okay, yeah. Damon? It's that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. We... <laughs> we do have a great show for you this week. We're going to talk about the huge success uh, that PS5 is enjoying, despite all the odds. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about how we chose what games to play before reviews were a thing. That's a really nice email that we got in. But first, I have received some disturbing information from GameScoop fan Christian Masonic who says uh, on Facebook, I feel the need to finally say this. It's important to note that the actual quote in the magazine was, that's called dumping and it's against the law. Okay. That doesn't have nearly the same ring to it. I know. I don't like that quote at all. (laughs) We've been misquoting it. (laughs) We've been misquoting it all this time, but I like the misquote better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we should make it happen on that. Mm -hmm. We'll just change it. It's okay. an original quote now. Yeah, original GameScoop quote. As they quote. say on GameScoop, the only <laughs> video game podcast, that's called mm-hmm. Dumping and it's illegal. Um, <laughs> I gave Mark a little bit of a pep talk earlier, and uh, we have him mm-hmm. on because uh, we've been losing 20 questions sometimes, not all the time. And uh, and I said, you know, Mark, the reason you're on the show is to win. But the issue with Mark is that he doesn't care about winning. He just cares about getting through 20 questions as fast as possible. Yep. So uh, we're <laughs> all the speed running. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but Mark also came up with a good hack that we're going to try today. Yeah, wow. we did. Okay. We did. Also, speed I running brought hack. backup. Brought backup. This little guy. It's me. 2.0. <laughs> I'm the bobblehead. Look at him. That's hard. We're going, holding up a bobblehead. We're going to win this time because <laughs> okay. of this guy. Okay. Okay. Not a fan of bobbleheads, I gotta say. I don't care. <laughs> Are you a fan of me? Big <laughs> fan. Big fan of Mark Medina. <laughs> Certainly more than they're better. Than. They're better than Funko Pops. Oh my god. Uh, gosh. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> uh, we begin this week. World of don't PlayStation. Zoom the camera up. What's the matter? Oh, sorry. Don't zoom the camera up. You might see some Funko. Uh, some of those. <laughs> oh no. <bigger laughs> sorry, I, I didn't can't tell from the waist down. I wasn't trying to Funko shame you, Tina. Uh, (laughs) Let's begin with PlayStation, which just aired another state of play uh, right before we started recording this that focused heavily on Ratchet and Clank. PS5, against all odds, PS5 in the uh, fiscal year that just ended for Sony has outsold PlayStation 4 by a couple hundred thousand units in the same PS5 has sold 7.8 million units. From the end of March, which uh, PS4 during the same time did 7.6 million. So that's despite the global pandemic, despite the ongoing semiconductor chip shortage, despite the higher price tag, and despite the lack of really compelling exclusive software, it still outperformed the PlayStation 4. Mm-hmm. And yet no and- one has one. <laughs> and yet, yeah, and yet, I'm pretty sure the I'm the only person on Earth that has a PS5. So that's weird. <laughs> it was hard to get a PS4 at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Let us remember, even though there's there's shortages and everything now, there are still long lines and difficult eBay queues and all kinds of stuff. I think there's more bots now for sure. One thing that yeah. uh, that is kind of competing though is that we are all stuck at home, so there is absolutely more demand for games and streaming and watching things on your television. 
And so I can yeah. see that. And of course, the, the population of people that enjoy and plays games is bigger than ever, too. So there's all of that in addition to it. You know, as many systems as Sony can cook out, they're selling. Yeah, I think it has something sure. to do with backwards compatibility as well, because if you when the PS4 came out, you had to make that choice to go and get a PS4 and be like, I'm not supporting PS3 anymore. And you mm-hmm. have this huge library of PS3 games. So a lot of people, I think, are like, I'm going to stick with my PS3 for now until the library builds up where the PS5 is just a PS4 Pro Plus <laughs> because it plays all your PS4 games better. So there's yeah. almost no reason to not get one if you can afford it. On one. Those are good points. Uh, Sony's Game and Network Services Division reported uh, its biggest year ever. $25 billion in revenue. And there's some really interesting uh, data the way this breaks down. Analyst Daniel Maud points out hardware sales made up 20% of that revenue. Digital sales are 20% of that revenue. And add-on content like microtransactions and DLC, 34% of that revenue. So this huge, the biggest Biggest chunk, the biggest high of all of Sony's revenue is coming from add-on content, hmm. and I always think that that's it's just interesting the way that juxtaposes against like sentiment towards add-on content among our readers, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the struggle and the struggle that EA experienced early on when I think they were one of the not early adopters, but one of the more well-known early adopters to where, and also, you know, they're a target for a lot of other bad gaming news and a lot of bad press, a lot of bad sentiment mm. from gamers too. So uh, it, it was, it was definitely negatively charged, but there's a reason why they pushed through and why a bunch of other companies have pushed through on this like free to play microtransaction, but also DLC kind of model because it's, it's lucrative. It works. It's yeah. Nice. I think about it sometimes really? it's like everybody says, I hate microtransactions and stuff like that. And yet it's like a multi-billion dollar industry. So somebody out there loves them. Somebody. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the other part of the statement that you just read off is, is interesting because digital sales, I know it sounds weird, were still a much smaller slice of game sales when the PS4 came out. Um, mm. And they've only grown since then. The PlayStation Store is definitely the way people get games. And there's, of course, other ways in- including subscription services, stuff like that, uh, which is included in digital sales, I'm sure. But uh, also this year, we weren't really able to go get hard copies of games and it would have been more inconvenient to get it shipped to you anyway. All that stuff has also pushed people more into digital uh, downloads, right? And new hard drives are bigger and and whatnot. It's just like, we're definitely in the era that, oh, I guess I should explain my my overall point here. Uh, Companies like Sony, when they directly sell you their games, they make a lot more money off of a game they didn't have to print a disc for and a packaging and everything and send it out. So that profit margin yeah. is just much bigger. They really want to sell you those digital games. Which leads me to the most surprising figure. Mm-hmm. Of that 20 Sony made, only 5% of it was physical game sales. Yeah. <laughs> only 5%. What, and what, what's the percentage that beat it out, which is even more fascinating? Peripherals with yeah. 6%? Yeah. It was <laughs> what? They sold more? More peripherals than themes. Yeah, it's crazy. Huh. Wow. I mean, I, I mean, guess that's dual shocks. Yeah, dual shocks. More dual shocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, you get shipped with one typically. So you, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a um, a bigger household than one, you probably want an additional controller. Uh, especially yeah. if you have some sort of swapping out. There's <laughs> um, <laughs> a cat on screen for, for the laughter. Um, but yeah, if you if you if you're swapping between two for battery purposes or couch co op or whatever else. Um, I, I know the uh, Pulse headset purpose. was a big deal too. 
True. Yeah. That thing was hard to find. Yeah. I got one. So oh, really? a big deal out of audio on the PS5 mm-hmm. too. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. Especially at launch, people are going for those pulses. That's cool. You got one. I haven't tried one yet. And uh, to further back what Tina's saying, absolutely. There's more people home than ever, too, with people that they normally wouldn't be home with. College kids are with their parents. They're with their younger siblings and stuff like that. So people are actually probably couch co-oping as much as they've ever been, uh, if not more. Too bad there's not a bunch of cool couch co-op games. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Zach, do some... Yeah, sack boy. That's one. Anyway, I was just shocked at that five percent physical games number because again, that juxtaposes with what the sentiment we see in any article we write on mm-hmm. IGN. Mm-hmm. The our audience claims that they, you know, physical forever. That's not what the data shows. I don't know how much um, the, the year of the pandemic affected that, like Sam. Looking forward, Sony expects the success to continue. Forecast an even higher revenue uh, goal for its you know, current fiscal year uh, began, although it notes it expects profits to dip a little bit due to increased development costs, things like that. Um, it's a good way to spend that money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we just did have that state of play focusing on Ratchet and Clank, which I continue to think looks like a lot of fun. I don't know that I saw anything in the gameplay demo today that like, blew my mind or changed the way i felt about it it's I, that game is right around the corner and i continue to look forward to playing it i don't know about you guys uh yeah, i mean it looks like more ratchet and clank rift apart with what yeah. some very excited for like mm-hmm. it just you know anytime we get to see rivet it started with rivet and uh she's amazing but yeah it, <laughs> it, it's amazing. amazing what's amazing rivet just her existence or yes the okay. fact that she is in my life okay i can't imagine life without her that's very sweet um yeah but yeah it's like it's one of those things where the game blew my mind when i first saw it and then we just keep seeing more and it's like look at these riffs and it's like yeah it looks great i just want to play it now i'm ready to play it i was wondering mark uh you know you you have the ability to sort of like jump rift through to different worlds right Mm -hmm. that's like Mm -hmm. the whole selling point of the game what's that gonna mean for speed running ratchet and clank rift apart I have no idea. I can't, I can't wait to see him, though. <laughs> have you watched any Ratchet speedruns before? Yeah, we uh, we did. Uh, we did. Uh, react? We did uh, our countdown for our stream. Oh, had right. a Ratchet and Clank speedrun in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, they're really, really cool. Um, that game needs something, something else for me. I, I played all, all, several of those games for work. And mm-hmm. it, it's really like walk into a pretty big room, explode everything, collect the bolts and move on. And I don't really like that gameplay. So, I, I, I mean, it's fine. It's like, a, it's like we've talked about with Brawlers. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's what this game is. I want there to be more and, and there very well could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, hopefully the, the um, portal jumping, the rifting is, uh, you know, actually like a, a significant game mechanic there and not just something that's like locked. It's cer- very specific, like story beats, you mm-hmm. know, very specific. Hopefully we're actually yeah, free like, to use it. Like QTE moments, essentially. They were yeah. just super scripted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Worried about that. And then, but I do like the idea of like, we've all played or some of our favorite games probably have switching between worlds. And usually it takes a long time, right? Like you put a sword in a block, and you wait for a cutscene, and then all of a sudden you're in the past, right? Like that. That's that's how things have worked. So like instantly seven years, pretty to be cool. specific. Mm-hmm. It's funny you should mention that, Sam, because that is uh, part of the the next topic that we're going to jump to right now, and it comes from a listener mail. So 
Let's check in with the listeners. Hi, listeners. <laughs> Justin's not here. What Someone needs do? to say it. I did it. Hey, I listeners. Hi, all the listeners. <laughs> They're always welcome. Yes. Listeners, remember, you can always reach us at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com, just like Wes from North Carolina did. Mm-hmm. Wes says, last week's conversation about Jade Empire getting a 9.9 got me thinking about how crazy the old 100-point review system was, especially when a reviewer found a reason a game didn't deserve a Tim but it was definitely a 9.9. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite recurring scoop segments is when you look back at games that received 10s throughout the years. So I thought it'd be cool to look back at those infa- infamous 9.9s and to decide whether it's one, actually should have been a 10. Okay. Two, if it's overrated, it should have been bumped down to a nine. Or if it really is as close to a masterpiece as you can get without actually being a 10, 9.9. I need to call so, okay. His name is Dan Stapleton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there have only been six games in IGN's entire history that have gotten a 9.9. Jade Empire was one of them. Uh, Tina, Matt, or uh, Tina, Mark, either of you played Jade Empire? I haven't. I haven't no. either. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a 10, though. So, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Another one uh, that might be surprising was Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Right. Oh, 9.9. A 9.9 which reviewed by Jeremy Dunham. And the final sentence of the review is, this is the best PlayStation 2 game ever made, period. 9.9. That gives me really good memory seeing this. The best PS2 game doesn't make it a masterpiece. It just makes it the best PS2 game. I guess so. That says more about the PS2 games at the time than it does does. GTA. But this would have been the... The third GTA that came to PS2, That's so crazy. it was like well into the PS2's life. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I like that the San Andreas review is actually a review of the entire PS2 library. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we gave GTA 4 a 10 after that. Yep. And yeah. boy, do people like San Andreas more than 4, at least in terms of who's playing it still now. Like San Andreas is, is definitely a go-to mm. game. Our strategy guides is always really popular mm. from people playing yeah. that, but 4 just kind of dropped off. Hello. Anyway, 9.9. Yeah. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Mm-hmm. It's another one. Huh. 9.9. So that would have been like 10? in the 90s when that it probably is in 99. Probably like 99. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, maybe that's why they went with I it. Think so. I think so. Let's give a 1 plus 2 remake. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, There's no way to know. Yeah, yeah. That, think, we gave it. I think I it think got a nine. Yeah, yeah, it was a nine. Definitely yeah. really that high. Nine point nine. I'll tell you that. Not a nine point nine. Could have been. Hard to give a nine point nine these days. Uh, and then the other. So that's that's three of the six. The other half are all Nintendo games. Really? It's, it's Majora's Mask. Okay. Okay. Nine point nine. Okay. Which you know, I guess maybe they wanted to. It's Fran. It's Fran Mirabella who reviewed this. And they want to say, man, it's really, really good, but just not quite as good as Ocarina. Mm. We I all know Fran's that. a troll, so, you know, yeah. it's just a troll score. At the time, I would have agreed <laughs> with that, and now I would think, like, yeah, you know, that with that one never made the 10, category, you know, 10 criteria, I don't think. Maybe maybe overrated at 9.9. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, a 9 sounds great. Sounds so easy and neat. Nine, you might nine, say nine, nine sounds amazing. Nine sounds amazing, amazing actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this, this one stings a little bit. Advance Wars. Craig Harris, he who infamously gave so many portable games a 10, oh, could only give 9.9 to Advance Wars. <laughs> yeah. 
I've never played Advanced Wars. Justin Davis is not here. I can't speak to this. I'll leave it up to him. Great game. (laughs) I understand. Sam does not like turn-based games. No, that's no. I don't like card games. Turn-based games, I'm okay okay. with. I I can play like one a year and not tolerate that. I I think, yeah. I think what you've said is that there's nothing that's more fun in turn-based gameplay than would be... Yeah, then it would be in real time. I think that you've said, you've said something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's unnecessary at this point. Hmm. But it feels retro, and if people like it because it's nostalgic, that's fine. For me, I'm just like, get on with it. <laughs> just, I wonder what this footage is from. Yeah, it's great. This is great footage. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Advanced Wars, I would bump that up to a Tim. And finally, there's Conker's Bad Fur Day, also a 9.9 in 64 <laughs> original game. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and after that, I think we gave or around that t- same time, we gave Banjo Tooie a, a lower score too, and you know that was coming off the uh, the highs of the the best rare era. Yeah, Conquer's weird to revisit. We I loaded it up at the office in the past couple of years, and um, it's like a bunch of comedic instances more than you know an exploration based collectathon. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. There's not really a collecting element to it. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's there's a really the story of that game is very interesting. Like. Uh, there were a lot of cute mascot platformers at the time. Nintendo was not hurting for them. So I think they like looked at it and said, let's do, we got to do something different with this one or else it's just going to be another, it's just going to be another Gex. Well, yeah. Another Bubsy, another. Well, it, it, it was taking Sonic and it was like, yeah. look at what Sonic did to make Mario look like it was for kids. And then they're like, well, let's take Conquer and make Sonic look like it's for kids. And you know, there's one of those every generation. So we're due for a, uh, you know, 40 up centric platformer mm-hmm. mascot now so we'll see how that goes yeah. the main thing i remember about conquer is the matrix being huge and, oh there's so many uh, know, movie references in that so game. then yeah so then it's like having conquer in the you know leather with the sunglasses like that's like the main thing is like the game is just here just like references and stuff and i feel like it kind of was during an era where that wasn't super happening yet mm. Anyway, only six 9.9s in the history of IGN, half of them Nintendo games. Uh, it's time to look at 9.8s. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that at some point, too. Resident Evil 4 is among them. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, wow. I just want to say, like, when reviewing those, though, like, those don't seem like troll scores. That seems like somebody trying to really think about, like, you know, there was something that really stuck out to me about this game to not make it perfect. And it's funny to think mm-hmm. about a score trying to encapsulate that. But, you know, I don't see anything in there that was you know, kind of joking or anything like that. I think that was taken really seriously. And I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell that going back. I thought we would have had some things like, oh, we'll just give it a 9.9. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was built around the concept of nuance. Mm-hmm. So yes, like a little bit of specificity around, it's not quite a masterpiece. It's very closely approaching that. Um, but, you know, at a point in time when we changed it to a 10 point scale uh, instead of that hundred point scale, it was because, that nuance wasn't really translating very well. And even in our discussions around scores, it didn't feel like it was assuming that you could make it mathematical as opposed to like the score system that we have now is more of a stand in a reference point, but we have the name associations with it too. So mm-hmm. 10 being the masterpiece and what yeah. going down from there. But we, it was also partially because things would come out on different platforms and they might be like slightly different experiences. And we had these lofty goals. This is before my time. So I'm just speaking mm-hmm. from what pair has taught me over the years. Yeah. Um, but, but yes, like the, the idea was that we had a lofty goal of reviewing across every single platform too, and making those comparative differences so that you could make a judgment. If you're a gamer to purchase on 
the Xbox versus PlayStation versus PC because of that minutia in a score change. But mm-hmm. the reality is we don't quite have the resources to be reviewing at that scale. Uh, there are a lot of games. We do review a lot of games, but yeah, we can't be doing, and we do try, like, especially when it's, when it's necessary, like with cyberpunk, we do try mm-hmm. to, you know, give you guys some other reference. Yeah. By you guys it also, it also makes me wonder like how even necessary it is. Like when you play Assassin's Creed Valhalla on series X, versus ps5 they dramatically different where if you remember even skyrim in 2011 the ps3 version is very different than the 360 version it's different and in addition to reviewing you know each individual platform we also just reviewed a lot more games back in the ign of that era like the philosophy was to review every game that was released so that if any iphone pre-iphone oh yeah (laughs) and pre pre pre-steam Right. So like before there was like hundreds of pieces of shovelware being released into the market every single day. Mm -hmm. It was to review absolutely every game so that if anyone out there was looking for whatever, like, you know, my veterinarian, you know, first puppy, if was looking for a review of that, they would find it on IGN. So yeah, on Game Boy Advance, GameCube and PlayStation 2. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My favorite thing is that baby's game. There's like a baby's game with a Z. Yeah. It's, it, it got like an 8.9 or something like that. And so it's like every year Call of Duty comes out and all you see is people saying like, is it better or worse than this baby's game? <laughs> yeah. Pets, that's babies. another reason why we got rid of the 100 point scales. because there's, there's too much comparisons going on. And that's not how mm-hmm. things should work. In the uh, really old timey days, right when I started, this was kind of being phased out. And Damon, I'm sure, reviewed games in this this format. But we had um, a graphics score and a sound score and a control score and a presentation score, I think was it. Mm-hmm. And um, each had a different like 9.8, 8.8, And the, the thing in the score box, it said, this is not an average. And mm-hmm. all the discussion was like, those don't add up. That, that average is not yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. No one yet. But no I see one... why. Like, I mean, it's, it's mm. because I think, I, I think, well, first of all, people, I'm really happy everybody understands averages and does that math. That's it's great. Math's great. But I think the pop culture <laughs> reference for that is I think it's Olympic scores. Mm. I well, think you get an average mm, of Olympic yeah. scores when people hold up like 8.8, 8.7, 8.6. I think that's where that, where everybody knows that. Because I was always trying to think, like, why is everybody obsessed with averages? Yeah, also, you wouldn't weight like gameplay and sound effects equally, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't and, think. And do you remember presentation being like, this has no meaning? Yeah, it's like, what's <laughs> how, what's the how do the menus interact? And like, I, yeah, different time. Moving on, this is Psalm in Des Moines, Iowa. It says, I will be gradu- graduating with my bachelor's in biology and environmental science and going into a master's program this fall. I've been Gamescoop since I was in eighth grade, but I have watched IGN game reviews since I was in third grade. So any money I saved wasn't wasted on bad games. I was wondering, how did you choose games to play back when game reviews weren't easily accessible or that informative? How could you tell the ETs from the Super Mario Brothers? Uh, I I can say that something I did growing up, which is something you can't really do now, I guess, is uh, you could rank games back in the day. Rent games, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't as big of a deal to be like, hey, am I going to like Returnal? I have to look at a review, and if there wasn't a review, I have to just spend $70 because there's no way to rent it. 
don't come at me with that gameplay stuff. Gameplay is impossible to get games on. Uh, <laughs> where it's like I lived across the street from a Hollywood video, so I could just go pick up Pokemon Whoa. Snap with the attachment. Living a dream. Yeah. When I when I when I grew up, I worked at that Hollywood video, and then it shut down. <laughs> That's how those worked. Now I'm sad. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think renting games was was so much easier. You could rent consoles back then. I rented a Dreamcast once. Uh, yeah. You just rent games. And so it's like you're not paying $60 to try a game. You're paying $5, you know. So I think that was different for me back then. That's that's how I made my choices. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't know, there's like in the 80s, uh, you know, of course, there was Nintendo Power. Nintendo Power was like such a promotional That's what it was uh, for me. tool. Nintendo Power basically told everyone what to play on NES. And anything that was getting lots of coverage on Nintendo Power, I feel like it was just like a guaranteed success for Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like there's that. And then there was also, you know, I think in the 90s, there were more uh, independent magazines, your PSMs and EGMs and diehard game fan. And they're still sort of like the editorial staff is sort of like setting the tone of what, you know, what they're, they think is going to be popular, what they think uh, people should play. But at least it's a little bit more of an independent outlet than, you know, actually Nintendo itself telling you what game cartridges you should get your parents to buy you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, box art and advertisements on TV and yeah. in print were 100% important for me to make decisions as a kid. You know, uh, as a kid, like many kids, I was an idiot and really paid attention to toy commercials. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, what informs what toys you buy. Right. And, mm-hmm. and games were, were, were a type of toy more than a, a format that we all, you know, thought have uh, thought a lot about when we were 10. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was where I was getting stuck. And so I, I and the Nintendo Power was, too, which was just a advertisement for Nintendo games. Right. Yeah. Um, with scores later on and stuff like that. It was really funny. <laughs> Um, but, um, the, uh, amazing thing about, I remember a friend of mine read IGN 64 and would tell me about the games he heard about from there. And that's how I kind of started reading it. Right. Because it was like, a, a, a where I'm going with this is that it was incredibly important to me when critical sites arose because it actually made me play a lot more games. It like opened because before it'd be like, this game's graphics look good. I want to play it. That was mm-hmm. basically it for me. Or like there's something about it. It was it was a game. It looked like a game I'd already played. Like I'd love Final Fantasy already. So like mm-hmm. I always wanted to play games that looked like Final Fantasy um as a little kid. And um so yeah, so I think it was really, really important for me to have a you know a critical opinion that was unbiased. And that that's amazing that kids get to grow up with that now. Definitely didn't have that. It, it sucked. <laughs> Tina, can you- different experience yeah yeah um because I, I i mean i've talked about my a little bit about my upbringing um which is obviously different from your guys's in the sense of my parents were very against screens quote unquote mm. so we didn't have a lot of them around and uh they put us into a lot of or me especially um but they put me into a lot of programs so i was growing up like doing a lot of competitive swimming i did three different cool. styles of dance Um, I was in math programs and English programs outside of uh, my normal schooling. So most of my free time was occupied by a lot of like extracurricular activities that my parents put me on. And then the opportunities for screens were always usually with my cousins. So we'd drive over from New York to Boston and they had consoles and whatever new games that they convinced their parents, my aunts and uncles, 
uh, to buy them. That's what we would play. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was often a lot of like multiplayer games because the cousins would come over and we'd all get together and I'd maybe get one or two rounds while everybody else got 10. Uh-huh. Mostly otherwise look over their shoulder, but you know, jokes on them. Cause I made a career out of this. Yeah. Thing. It was free games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little different, but it, it, a lot of my exposure was through my cousins, through my brothers and the older I got, um, my brother, um, we, uh, we got consoles and computers to play games on through lots of conning systems. So he'd like barter deals <laughs> at school and trade one thing for another to get stuff into the house. We'd have to smuggle it in because my parents weren't super, again, into screen stuff. So we'd, we'd figure ways out of like loaning systems from other people um, or just trading for them. So that's how we got our Dreamcast once upon a time. Uh, and oh. that's a, a lot of... Oh, I got into things. And then my brother had a, a computer and he'd, you know, start to download games onto them. And that would be my exposure through his friend circle, mm-hmm. our cousin circle. <laughs> so very word of mouth around here. Mm-hmm. So Tina, how do your parents feel about what you ended up doing with your career? So they didn't quite understand it for a while, but mm-hmm. the second that they saw me on like national news networks talking about the video game industry on a much more mainstream level, and they had their friends calling and being like, I'm just watching the news and your daughter's on it suddenly. That sealed the deal for them. Yeah. They were like, this yeah. is legit. Yeah. Once you're in my circles, once you're in these external circles and I can make sense of it, it's, it's more legitimate. Cool. They're very proud. <laughs> That's great. Um, the one other thing I would say is uh, maybe Sam can relate to this, but in the very, very early days of the NES, like in the, the first year or so that I got them, uh, knowing games from the arcade is another reason like why it's like right. Kar- Karate yeah. Champ. Kung Fu, Popeye, these are games I already played in the arcade. Mm-hmm. When I, I learned I could play them at home on my NES, I just instantly wanted to get all of those. So, and I was, you know, too young for the, the era of arcades, so I missed them or, or not really born yet. But um, I, uh, I do know now, looking back, there, that was 100% word of mouth. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a game would show up out of nowhere. There wasn't advertisements or anything. And sometimes they'd blow up and be national news like Pac-Man or Donkey Kong. Right. But uh, other than that, like people were playing games because they'd go to the arcade because it was a social event and mm-hmm. see what was new. And so by the time um, I was playing games and didn't know anything about like, for instance, I would know about the Nintendo, but I didn't know about the Master System. So or, or the Turbo Graphics. I had a friend that got like rented a Turbo Graphics and or, or owned one or something. I learned about those all those games through him. I was just like, I can't believe there's all there's a different system that's not Nintendo, and you know, go over there and play it. So there was absolutely I can remember exact instances of people telling me about a game on a playground, like on my playground, and then me going home and trying to figure out how to play that game. You know, <laughs> it was so, a kid word of mouth is great. I love mm-hmm. it. On. This is Dave in Mansfield, England. It says hello, Mega Scoop, the only gaming podcast. I've recently gotten back into platformers uh, during my gaming time. I've completed New Super Lucky's Tale, which I didn't give a five. You folks are harsh. Then I played Ori in the Blind Forest. Got an eight point five, much better. Mm-hmm. I've completed Super Mario Odyssey, uh, and again, I loved it. Next on my list is Ori in the Will of the Wisps. Seems logical, but could you recommend any more? I prefer less combat heavy and more puzzle type platformers if possible. I've got a Switch, Xbox, and PC. <laughs> and I'll, I'll say right off the bat, we recommend this uh, as often as possible. I think Tina will agree with me, but inside. Yeah, I was waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely check out, actually, the pair, Inside and Limbo. Although I think I was gonna say. Inside is better, the better of the two games, but 
<laughs> Agreed. Limbo was like them finding their footing with this new format and then just like new narrative storytelling, wordless narrative storytelling. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, inside was just really drilled down deep. <laughs> uh, a magical game called Balan Wonderworld. <laughs> Maybe give it a go. <laughs> if you like a super- platformer. I mean, I, I, it's definitely more of a platformer than it is anything. I don't know. I play it. It looks awful. <laughs> yeah, don't. That's not a, that. Yeah, that's not an endorsement from my from Game Scoop. No. <laughs> um, when you uh, gave us show notes for this, I was thinking about puzzle platformers, and I, I like the context there. Like less battle, more you know exploration solving. That that helps me focus it because like there are games that are platforming with puzzles. Like I really liked one called Henry Hatsworth, which was like, oh man, you're you're walking through a game and platforming, and then there's a puzzle game like basically beneath the surface. It's so cool. That was, and an, it that was a DS game, right? Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but then I was like, oh my gosh, I bet Damon knows all these other games that are like that. They're puzzle <laughs> platformers. What do I need to know about this genre that I've been missing out on? But there aren't. That's like a really unique use use of puzzling and platforming. But the Lost Vikings type games, right? Where there's I like, like those. you're moving around and you, and you just have to get through gates in the environment or whatever. I, mm. I love that stuff. That's like some of the earliest gameplay that I really liked. Um, you know, kind of uh, fit puzzling your way through games. I love that stuff. And so, yes, there's so many modern examples and I will stop holding the floor for a bit and think about some. No, those, those, that's a good point. Uh, Lost Vikings 1 and 2 are both in the um, recently released Blizzard arcade collection. So those oh, are cool. e- easily accessible. Right and then there's the other obvious ones like Portal One and Two. Oh yeah, yeah. No brain. Incredible. We talk about that one. Yeah, yeah. You often. And then Braid um, is another just obvious, you know, super mega hit when it came out too. Mm-hmm. I love Braid. Braid is Braid is so fun. You you it's a it's a platformer that plays on Mario style platformers with rewinding time, so you don't really kill enemies aside from kind of trapping them with time rewind stuff. It, it's great. It's so worth playing. Yeah, the time element makes it a little bit more unique too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say for like super modern, I, yeah, Sackboy is really fun. It's really all about platforming. There is a little bit of combat, but uh, for the most part, it's it's lives and dies by its platforming. And as long as you're not playing online where the net code can get a little weird, it's it's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that game a lot. Um, Box Boy is a really cool one. It's like you, it's it's really really simple. You're it's a black and also it's like a really cool black and white Game Boy aesthetic. But um, it's it's like as you move screen by screen, you really only have like the silly move, which is to duplicate a block out of yourself. And it, it the way that the game sets up puzzles for that, you just get to points where you know it's impossible. And like I would like you know look up our guide on it, and I'd be like. I cannot believe somebody would ever be able to solve this without a guide. It's so clever and hard, and I really recommend it. Uh, a word on Braid. Um, the Braid Anniversary Edition was announced last year and isn't out yet. So you might, oh, want, cool. you might just want to wait for that one because it's going to be in 4K and developer commentary, which is a very yeah. cool edition, <laughs> which I think is added in uh, Portal 1 at least. I don't know if developer commentary is in Portal 2 or not, but I wouldn't be surprised. That's so cool that they added that. I think that's I love the that. most fun thing. As far as another one that has like a unique gimmick, I guess you could say, um, is Fez, which I feel like mm-hmm. was super hyped, mm-hmm. came out, and then people kind of ignored it. There was a huge community around it um, where people were trying to hunt down interesting secrets, which like mm-hmm. that's what made that game cool. There was a ton 
to explore and the whole three dimensional, like twisting of worlds things mm -hmm. uh, just made it really incredibly unique. And I really like art too. Oh, yeah. And Fez just came to Switch. Oh, wow. All that's the great. updates came in. Mm -hmm. What's up? You have oh, all yeah. the updates on all these yeah. games. Yeah. Well, I like a puzzle platformer. Two months ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like more then. Um, I remember being part of that like, communal discovery of Fez, and it's it's mm -hmm. that's a game, the only game I can think of in any recent memory that I played with a paper pad next to me, and mm -hmm. I actually wrote, there's Tetris-themed um, language in it with the Tetris blocks, and they actually spell things, and it's like a language you have to solve in the game. Um, it, was, it was so cool, and just like, you know, mentally taxing in all the ways that really appealed to me. Love it. There this it is. is. Fez, yeah. Look how good this is. game looks. Yeah. yeah, it's so cute. Yeah, it still looks really good. Mm -hmm. uh, I have one more. Damon, maybe you have a recent uh, update to it, but I doubt it. <laughs> it wasn't that beloved. Um, but I, I reviewed this game for Kotaku back in the day, and I really liked it. And I don't think it was universally loved uh, as far as reviews go, but Cave, Double Fine, uh, where you can yeah. take Published by Sega, I think. <laughs> I wanted to play that game. Yeah. Good one, huh? It was, yeah, I like the writing, as you can imagine. Um, and the, the concept was that you could take different characters along with you. So depending on who you took, you would be exposed to different solutions, different dialogue and whatnot. Um, and honestly, I don't remember a ton of the game because that happens with me. Uh, but I pulled up my review. And back in the day, we used to do, for Kotaku, we used to do th two things I loved and two things that I hated. So one of the things that I loved that I thought was funny was I wrote the voice acting and in particular, the cave himself who is as charming as he is diabolical because he's a character mm. in the game too. Wow. And that's a double fine game. Yeah. That totally checks out then all that, that right. creative cool writing and cuteness and stuff. That's great. Exactly. Like it, for me, I, according to my review, according to Tina Amini from whatever this was, 2013, apparently. Wow. Um, I have, mm. I, I said that uh, the, at, at times the pacing wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. um, but you know that's also kind of to be expected too from that kind of experience. So mm -hmm. sounds like a nine point nine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you. Um, we didn't score back then. We did uh, for Kotaku. Yeah. We did yes and no. Yeah. Yes. I remember an early review discussion for IGN was yes, no, and rent. That's how long ago it was that I had mm -hmm. that discussion, which I thought was, that was great. <laughs> yeah, we no did yes, no, maybe at Kotaku. Yep. I remember. A yes, no. A yes, no scale is just it's just binary. It's like yeah. it's. We're at a 10 point scale. Yes, no is just. Yep. It's either zero a zero or 10. Yeah. <laughs> and frankly, given the way that we used to like pick games, because we were a very small team, like 10 to 15 people, very different from IGN, uh, we would just pick the games that we were interested in or thought that our audience would be interested in. So more often than not, it was a yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unless it was a total flop. There is a period of time in which I was covering this type of game for IGN, which I guess is now clear to me as a puzzle platformer. Uh, there's a series in it. I reviewed one of one or multiple of these. So there is V V V V V V V V V mm -hmm. that game, uh, and then N N plus N plus, yeah, the, uh, yep. yeah, and then Super Meat Boy, mm -hmm. and then I think Celeste is kind. I've never played Celeste, but I understand it to be a, a continuation of that genre, which is kind of like single screen platforming that's really hard and puzzly. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, Celeste Actually, is very similar to Super Meat Boy. Like you can yeah. only get hit once, and it's not single screen. Neither is Super Meat Boy, but it's like it, it's the whole like instant restart thing. I died, mm -hmm. and I'm just I'm right back into it. And you right. can die yeah. fifty times, and you're still just like you just you're like I got to get past this. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, those three games share a lot of similarities. Definitely platformers, um, but not puzzle platformers, I don't think. They're like skill check. Skill platformers. But yeah. they're not based on combat. You know, there's, there's not really any combat yeah. in those games. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's, they're tests of your platforming abilities. Mm-hmm. Yep. Three, two, one. Let's go. And that brings us... Power struggle with your mic. Who, me? Zombie. <laughs> I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. Yeah, that's exactly. It seems like he's uh, really vying for that microphone. Look at those eyes. That was the yeah. biggest cat glare I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, that brings us to Video Game 20 Questions. Same, tell us who our suggestion comes from this week. The suggestion this week comes from... <laughs> Same's voice? It's just so deep. Matt. It's just a, slightly lower than Damon's. <laughs> it's a little deeper. <laughs> comes from Matt. We don't know where Matt is from, but Matt has sent in the suggestion. Let the questioning begin! <laughs> Matt is once again in witness protection. Some is very dramatic. Can't reveal his location. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, ready right. to win, Mark? You said you had yeah. a hack. Yeah, let's win. Oh, yeah. oh, oh the hack. We, wait, wait, we don't, the the hack can't come in yet. We, okay. we don't need it yet. Okay. okay. Uh, um, are there puzzle elements in this game? Yes. What? Ooh. Good Brave. work. Just trying to keep it on brand because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's been Damon's yeah. uh, Damon's secret sauce to twenty questions. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, does it, did this game release after January first, two thousand? Yes. Mm. Don't like that use of release, Mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Originally uh, released. Yeah, that's true. Well, it was. Is this after? So it's after two thousand. Is this? Uh, what is this game available on Switch? That's my bookends right now. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Hmm. That... But that's not necessarily a timeline thing. Yeah. Is okay. It a, is it an exclusive? Exactly. Is it exclusive. No. Have we? Did we mention the game on the episode yet today? No. That's five. Mm. Should have thrown out more games. We should. Yeah. We should, we should have made a list of a hundred games before we asked every that. puzzle yeah. game ever. Then he would have said yes, and we'd be like, "Oh, yeah." I don't know if that much <laughs> would have helped us. Um, should we go platforming plus puzzle? Sure. Uh, Is there platforming in this game? No. It's a puzzle game. Just a puzzle, game. or it could be like you know, Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, with puzzle element. A sh- uh, what would that be? A horror puzzle. Shooty puzzler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A z- zombie puzzle game. Yeah. <laughs> um. Is this, this franchise? Yeah. Is it part of a franchise? Yes. Could be Resident Evil. Could be Resident uh, Evil. <laughs> did this game uh, originally come out um, before 2010? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, we narrowed down platform, right? Well, we, what we said it was, it was on multiple platforms. It's not exclusive to a platform, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but not on Switch. But not on Switch. Well, it came out before 2010. Yeah. And and not being an exclusive, I was I was, I was kind of leaning towards handheld for this, but now I'm not because it seems weird. Like, what what is it going to be on? Everything and Game Boy Advance or something? It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Uh, um, shoot. Okay. Oh, does this, did this come out on a, a, a disc-based medium only? Yes. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> so not uh, a handheld puzzle or... 
Yeah, not handheld. Let's see. So it could be like an adventure game too. Yeah. I think we need to we need to figure out if it's out of the PS2 Xbox GameCube era and into the 360 PS3 era. Or other yep. genres. I don't know how to ask that. Other genres. To narrow it down like it's more adventure or yeah. or maybe if it has killing in it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's ask if it has some killing in it. Damon, that's does it, it have some killing in it? Yes, that's 10. Okay. Is it a horror game? Yes. Oh, cool. It might be this Resident Evil. Be okay. Uh, let's see. Mm, yeah, it's probably it's Resident Evil. Re- remember Resident-, Resident Evil Village comes out next week. Well, and 4 just got announced for VR. But it that's could be a true. weird one. That's true. This is this a Capcom game? Yes. Ooh. Um, right. Okay, so narrowing down Resident Evil is going to yeah. be interesting. There's a lot. There's so just a lot. Era, Code Veronica, so Resident sure Evil 4, 5, or 6. Uh, Mark, I'm no, having trouble. It. Sorry. Yes, okay. All right. Oh, yeah, we Where's, didn't narrow down that it is a Resident Evil game. We're just pretty sure it's it, a Resident Evil game. Yeah, it's got to be, right? Like other horror Capcom game with puzzle elements? Well, we might as well just ask if it's in the Resident Evil series then, right? No, we have enough questions. Because then we got to just figure out which one, which should be yep. easy enough. So is it in the Resident Evil franchise? Yes. All right, cool. Is it uh, a numbered? Yeah. Is it a numbered game in the in that series? No. So it could be Code Veronica. Umbrella, Umbrella Chronicles? Or, yeah, I was going to say something one of those. I have um, a misprint of that game. Yeah, uh, like on the it, spine of it, it says like umbrella, um, umbrella chronicles or something. <laughs> wow. I feel like it, I feel like it's probably Code Veronica. Let's see. What uh, is that? What, what what system is that for? I thought Dream, that was for Dream, like, Dreamcast. One. Dreamcast PS2. Mm, okay. Uh, okay. Does this play, game take place in Raccoon City? No. Yeah, it's definitely Code Veronica because that's, that's exactly how I would answer that question because I'm pretty <laughs> sure it doesn't. But I'm like, wait, but at the beginning, are you okay? Uh, does this game star Claire Redfield? Yes. I don't know what it is. I what think did, we got some what Code did Veronica. Print on Sam. What's that? What did you get a misprint on? Which game oh, Umbrella Chronicles. Oh, okay. and, and I can't remember if Claire's in that, but that was fourth. No, those are first person games, right? No, they're just, they like, were. they're just like Resident Evil four. Okay. What am I thinking of? Oh, wait, wait, am I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm confusing it. The three, the DS or the three DS game with the Wii Thrawn rail shooter, I think. Yeah, or I am. I can't, I can't remember. I, I, I honestly I didn't play I'm a confused. ton of those like Resident Evil spinoffs. The one I'm talking about, yeah, it has is the 3DS, but it's not that yet. Um, I think it's I think it's all signs point that it's Code Veronica. So I I think it's Code Veronica. I don't know how to narrow it down more. We could ask if it's who's just who's Veronica. Code Veronica. That's the those are that's like the enemy family. That's like you know, that's, yeah. Well, where does it but, take place? It, it takes place like in their mansion oh, and this, also like Antarctica or something like that. that. Actually would help me because the games I'm talking about take place on beaches and boats and stuff. So does this take place in a mansion? Um, 
I mean, it's code part Veronica. of the part of the time. Yeah, part of the yeah, hundred percent. Okay, uh, yeah, it's code Veronica. So. I'm gonna ask it. I, I don't know. There's a lot of Resident Evil games. How oh, many whoa, questions? Whoa, whoa, hold on. What system did it come out for? Did this come out on Dreamcast? Here we go. Yes. Okay, done. fine. Go for it. Yeah. All right. Why did uh, we do this, this five questions ago? Is this uh, Code Veronica, Damon? Yes, it is. All right. Resident Evil that. Code Veronica from the year 2000. Wow. Ordered a year later to PS2 and GameCube. Wow. I didn't know it was on GameCube. I want to play I didn't it know it was on GameCube now. either. And then 10 years later, released on PS3 and 360. Look at that CG cutscene. Yeah. Yeah. How many questions did we have left? You had one question and a guess left. Oh, <laughs> boy. vamped, guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. We'll uh, save. We'll save the hack for the next time we might yeah, need it. We, we, oh, we yeah. didn't need it this time. We didn't even need it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that you guys have a, a secret <laughs> against <laughs> me. Secret well, we, I, it's just a joke, so I can just explain it and we can not use it. But we are going to we are going to just do a, a, a instant restart. Yeah, so, so basically, basically on this on this episode of, on this week's episode of Beyond, I said one of my favorite things about Returnal is that if it's not going your way, you can just restart. And so we're going to mm. treat uh, twenty questions like a roguelike and be like, "It's this yeah. isn't going our way. Yeah. We would like to restart with the knowledge we that. have." <laughs> we had a feeling that you weren't no. going to let us anyway. So, so with wouldn't something have to be like procedurally generated too? Like, have to be a new question? Yeah, we know all the answers, but now the game's different. So it just switches like, hosts. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad idea then we can get all the questions that we ask get re-answered without penalty that, right. that can be the trick we'll do that right. Try, right. we're exactly. trying to make it or everything's a roguelike yeah we're trying- <laughs> <laughs> we're, and we're that much more prepared right it's just like a roguelike <laughs> just the next time you start idea. you're like you're like just Some this much more experience. ready to go yeah. start over at oh. number 19 and go from there it's really only fair damon <laughs> if you think about it Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to think about it. All games Come are on, <laughs> It's Returnal's release day, man. Have some have some compassion. I am looking forward to playing Returnal. Yeah, me too. Oh, it's super fun. You guys are gonna love it. I hear it's so hard though, and it's that might be hard. frustrating for me. Super hard. Mm-hmm. The the runs are very long, and you can't save in the middle of them. Me and Destin both played for two three hours. Went to bed. Uh, woke up the next day, and the there was a system update. And our runs were oh, just gone. No. We we were just at the beginning of the game again. I'm like, oh. cool. My heart sank. <laughs> I do like you could just pause it and turn off your TV, though. I, I think that is funny. That's yeah, what I did. The, I mean, you'll, you'll never. The problem is, is you put your PS5 in rest mm-hmm. mode, and then that's it. Yep. The game is holding your PS5 hostage. You can't be like, I'm going to play this. Now. Nope. No, it's going to turn Returnal off. I know it's all bad, but you like, got to play your that, series. X. That's that's what I did with Yakuza last night. I'm in a dungeon, which is just like a uh, a Yakuza hideout, and I couldn't save, but I was ready to go to bed, so I just put my mm-hmm. PS5 in rest, rest mode, mode. and. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, Returnal, jump Returnal begins with saying, like, if you're in the middle of a run and you need to take a break or stop, put your PS5 in rest mode. Like, that's, that's their tip. Yeah. That's uh, Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Like how fast Red was with the Returnal B-roll. He didn't yeah. even know we were going to talk about that. that. It was incredible. Good job, Red. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Super our minds, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> Those monsters are scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, snake faces. nicely job. Resident Evil Code Veronica, thank you for the suggestion. Matt, uh, listeners, viewers, if you have your own suggestions for 20 questions, email them to me at gamescoop at IGN.com. And that is all the scoops that we have for you this week. Thank you to Tina. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Mark, for sitting in this week. Thank you to Red, working behind the scenes. 
My name is Damon. I'm going to play some uh, Returnal this weekend. Uh, oh, we'll one, some... one other thing, Damon. Yeah. What's up, listeners? <laughs> What's up, listeners? Said, okay, Better I late than never. That earlier, though, I said to Haley. I know. I just wanted to make sure I, I, I made up for me missing it earlier. Yeah, oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, I, I appreciated you saying. As long it. as it's just about you, then it's, it's just about me. I felt bad <laughs> leaving it on the on the table this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My name is Damon. This is IGN Games. You. No <laughs>